Brett. My name is Laia. I'm Justin. And I'm Rachel. And much like your favorite talk show, we are still broadcasting from home as we continue to dive into the most motivating and entertaining stories to get you through the week. This week, Anya Lachelle is back from Philly Live on NBC10 to give us some good news. We're going to check in with James Beard Award winner and Philly's own food superhero, Chef Eli Culp. And what happens when two masters of design join forces for good? Well, we will let Nacheli Juliana Ortiz Gonzalez and Marianne Velez explain. Congratulations on getting those names out. <laughs> I mean, I thought Laia was hard. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's time. You know the game, guys. We always start this show off with a little bit of fun and some Philly faves. So we're going to do a lightning round. What is it this week? I thought we'd do something different. How about style that we swear was derived from Philly? That's a good one. Rachel, do you want to start? Oh my gosh, I'm making go first. Um, I'm going to go with Lagos Jewelry. I, I love their jewelry, and we have the flagship Lagos stores. So I can't go wrong or get pinged with that one. And okay. sneaker culture because of you, Bic. So there, mm, I'm sticking with those two answers. They're two good ones, and you took two, by the way. I do what you I want. sure did. Thank Ooh. you. Oh. Mm, next. She's a boss. Next. Okay, all right. Ooh. Okay, I'm going to take it back because for me, I swear Philly were the ones that started men feeling comfortable really rocking their pink shirts. I swear that started in Philly first. I feel like in the 90s. So I'm going to go with that. I'm That's a go. good one. Yeah. Mine are gray sweatpants. I feel like everyone's wearing sweatpants now, right? Like that's work attire. Actually, yeah. I put jeans on today, so you guys should feel special. I have Fancy. my sweatpants on now with my blouse. <laughs> but I mean, Philly's kind of known for like people wearing sweatpants to everything. And we yeah. sort of have that reputation. Those gray sweatpants are everywhere in Philly, but now they're everywhere. That's fine. We're comfortable wherever we go. <laughs> all right, so let's get things started now. World-renowned chef Eli Culp knows all about reinvention. After a 2015 Amtrak train derailment left him a quadriplegic, Culp battled with not being able to return to his kitchens at Fork and High Street on Market while becoming a mentor to many Philly chefs. He has now taken those talents and combined them to form the Ultimate Podcast Experience, which dives into all facets of the food industry. The show is called The Chef Radio Podcast. The host, Chef Eli Culp. Eli is a James Beard Foundation award winner, and we are really excited in Philadelphia that we're going to host virtually the James Beard Foundation award nominees on Monday, May 4th, and we'll make sure the link is on visitphilly.com. Hello, Eli. Hello, everybody. How are you? Hi, Eli. Welcome to Love and Grit. This is our first podcast crossover interview. I will say the same thing. I have not done a a podcast crossover video yet. Tell us about your podcast. So the name is Chef Radio Podcast, and it stands for Cooking Hospitality, Environment, and Food. But we wanted to have a real focus on Philadelphia because there's so much going on here. And I wanted it to be a podcast that had takeaways, that had lessons in it, that had people to listen to, hear the stories that made the sacrifice that these chefs had early in their career and what got them to where they are to really be able to develop into the people they are today and try to match that with like real life lessons, stories of people with real grit, being able to be resilient. They want to hear the stories of people coming back from adversity, all these elements that kind of go into real life situations and real life journeys. I love that. That speaks to everything we've had to work through with our podcast 
as as far as the grit, what we look at is how are we all dealing with it? What are our individual stories? How are we coming together as a community? And what are we looking forward to? Because we know there will be light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, absolutely. And the restaurant industry, as we all know, is one of the hardest hit sectors. And the restaurant industry is so vulnerable. The margins are very thin. You know, restaurant industry is 90% small business. And unless you're really killing it, you probably don't have a huge nest egg to pull from. So everybody in the restaurant industry is really hurting right now and trying to figure out what the next right move is. What's the correct move? Restaurateurs are put in this position where, you know, they're really having to make what feels like life and death decisions about what to do with their restaurant. And Eli, you faced making life and death decisions about your own life and having to make a comeback. And it's been so incredible. And we celebrate you. Philadelphia celebrates you. We thank you for everything you've done and the courage you've shown. And I think what you've learned can really help inspire us because we face such hard odds and not to compare it to what you've been through. But what lessons have you learned that can help us and help the restaurant industry? I think one thing that, that people really have to remember, and this is sort of one of my mantras, is that hard work always pays off. People sitting at home right now who kind of feel like, you know, they don't know what the answers are right now. For them, it's important to use this time to really start to think about what they want for the next steps in their career, whether that's work and life, whatever it is. And the lessons that I've learned in the last five years, just going through this, is that you just have to take it day by day. And it sounds cliche, but there's really no other option out there. It's hard as hell to stay positive. And I went through some really dark times after I was injured for probably the first few years where I sort of regained that confidence and that self-esteem and started to realize that I did have value still, even though I was physically sort of immobilized, that I was still able to really contribute to you know, my restaurants, people around me, my family, my kids, still be the dad that I had hoped, even though it wasn't the same way that I had envisioned it. Do you still feed your, your passion for cooking at home, like with your son? Is he taking that passion as well? Absolutely. He calls himself the, the garnisher. So he <laughs> Yes, I love that. How old is he, Eli? Uh, he's eight years old. So he's not really into the cleanup in the beginning, but... Yeah, neither am I. That's <laughs> right. All the hard work, yeah, he'll finish things. He'll put the final touches on it. What are you missing the most? And, you know, I can't wait until things ease up and we're doing our, you know, normal routines. What are you looking forward to? Well, I'm looking forward to getting out of the house with my son. For those of us that have kids, being stuck in a house is, is difficult. And thankfully, we do have some outdoor space and all that. But it is no joke being sort of trapped in a house with a very, very uh, hyper kid. But I really miss the face-to-face. And, you know, thank God we have social media. I was just talking with Joe Badia from Pizzeria Badia. And I said, like, what if this would have happened in 1992 when we didn't have any video, we didn't have social media, we didn't have cell phones, right? All we have is landlines. Think about that for a minute. Like, so thankful that this happened while we still have the technology available to stay in touch. But also, you know, in the medical world, the advances. Hopefully this will be over sooner than later. Do you have a favorite place that you like to visit in Philadelphia or the countryside with your son? Yeah, our go-to is the waterfront. I live at Front and Market. We are always down there, especially when the weather's nice. Of course, like Cherry Street Pier, 
there's so many places that Philadelphia has to offer. You know, it just continues to grow. And with children, what you're doing, you're looking on You Wish You Knew and visit Philly every Wednesday and Thursday to see what you're going to be doing with your kids that weekend. It's really great to be here when there's so many great things going on. I want to get some intel from you, Eli, because I feel like between your behind-the-scenes conversations and the upcoming shows that you're getting ready for, that you know uh, some of the folks that we need to be looking out for in the restaurant business that are that are thinking creatively. And maybe, and as soon as we get the doors open, it's like, okay, well, you might want to pay attention to this person or that place. Well, I would say that my good friend, Mike Solomonoff, who owns The Hob and Federal Donuts and feels like a thousand other restaurants around here, he and his business partner, Steve Cook, are really forward thinkers. And I think they're going to really do great things. I just got off the phone with Joe Badia, like I said. And, and uh, GQ named Badia Pizza the best pizza place in America. In America. And so did wow. Bon Appetit Magazine. They said he had the best pizza in, uh, in the U.S. as well. I mean, this guy is just killing it. And he's so, well, the beautiful thing about Joe, and I don't want to, I can talk all day about Joe, is that he's a true craftsman. He picked one thing, and it was pizza. And he studied it. He put all of his energy into one thing. And originally that was cooking 40 pizzas a night. And that was it. That's all you got. So when these articles came out, we had a line wrapped around the block. There would be more than 40 people in line. And the 41st and 42nd people knew they weren't getting a pizza. Wow. Oh, okay. Thank you. That's some good intel. People want comfort right now. At least I do. I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think? How do you feel about going back out to restaurants once <laughs> things are lifted? I can't wait. I mean, that's, that's my social life honestly, is going to restaurants and seeing friends. So I always joke that I've been social distancing for years, but the only really social activity I take part in is sitting around a table with a friend or friends or family. Restaurants are so important because they bring us around the table. And it is such a representation of love and grit because restaurateurs and chefs work so hard to have the best possible product. And the results is that it brings family and friends together around a table. So it's really like working hard and being nice to people. That's going to be interesting for me because I think that I am going to look at my restaurant experience different unless the whole nation gets tested. That's a whole nother thing. However, I am interested in the innovative ways that people are going to have like pickups, takeouts. I know that people are going to have to be wiping off these menus. So I'm going to be paying attention more to the way restaurants mm-hmm. take care of their menus because I love food and I want to jump back in. The last thing I probably want to do is go to a huge, big restaurant and commune. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to try to figure out other ways to support my favorite places. I feel as though, you know, people will be innovative. That's what you have to do. I look at how fast grocery stores were able to adapt. So restaurants will figure it out. And I look forward to being out and about. That's great. Because as a restaurateur, we're all trying to figure out, like, what is the customer base going to to feel safe coming out. You know, if we're taking out tables so that they're six feet apart, is part of that intimacy of being around people, even though you might not be talking to the people around you, is that going to fill the void that restaurants were? Or do we just go back to business as normal? That's really the ticket, and we just don't know yet. Yeah. You know, everybody's going to be trying different ways. And what I've said to my business partner, Ellen Yin, is that, you know, we sort of have to grow with, you know, as the virus lifts, like, figure out what it is step by step. It might change day to day what people are expecting or what we're going to be serving and what we're going to be doing. You know, there's so many restaurants that do small plates and family style now. Are people going to want to do that? I don't think so. Double dipping is going to be a felony these days. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, there's this sort of reset opportunity for everybody in the restaurant industry, making sure that we're looking at the humane aspect of what we do. I believe that restaurants and especially larger restaurant groups and restaurateurs, we have a responsibility to make sure that we are not forgetting 
the other 95% of people that do not have access to that fine dining restaurant that we're serving. Now I'm talking about the populations that don't have access to much or food desert or they're dining out as McDonald's or Burger King. And we have a responsibility as restaurateurs to make sure that we're reaching out to those communities to help bring them in, to help bring some level of positivity. Food can heal, food can bring people together, and food can create great conversation. Thank you, Eli. You're a great example of all of those things, all that positivity and, and all that hope that we need to have to move forward. So thanks for being that role model. Uh, no problem. Uh, I think it's necessary. And yes, we're a very wealthy country, but we can't forget about the people who don't have access. And that's one of my sort of initiatives going forward. <laughs> Next, it's time for some good news, and Anya Lachelle from Philly Live on NBC10 always gives us the best of it. Anya, so we are loving all of your stories, and for me, the one that hit home was about our hair care. Tell us, tell us that we know the struggle is real. For me, it's, it's oil, a lot of oil. Yeah, for me, it's just holding on to this month-long hairstyle for another five months. <laughs> I hear your struggles. So many women, especially African-American women, are in the same boat with the salon shutdown because it's traditional for us to go to the hair salon once a week, twice a that's week, right. that's standard. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to plug story out there that had some helpful tips because there's so many stylists from Philly who are already doing this. They're already putting out tutorials. They're calling their clients, giving them tips and advice on how to take care and maintain their hair, especially for those who have to work from home. You still have to, you know, dress up from waist up. So you need your hair done. It's real out here. And so some local stylists, um, Asia Stevens Bay, Mickey Davis runs a natural hair studio. So you can find some helpful tips in the story that we put on NBC 10 earlier this week. I love the portion about, um, you know, a lot of times we're like, okay, obviously you have your natural hair routine, whether it's, you know, how often you shampoo or, you know, your wash, whatever. But at the same time, the tips to making sure your flat iron and the combs or brushes and just a cleanliness um, routine for that to make sure that you're taking necessary precautions as well. I thought it was really important and informative. Yeah, I I mean, I never even thought about having to clean my styling tools until I came across this video on YouTube and it just so happened she was from Philadelphia because the CDC recommends that we have to wash our hair often because the virus, it's still inconclusive if it can live on your hair or not. So that's why they recommend wash your hair often just in case. But she made a great point. If you don't wash and clean your styling tools, your flat irons, your combs, your brushes, you're just cross-contaminating and putting dirty tools back onto clean hair. And so I think it's important that we maintain a healthy regimen for all of our hair needs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That, that made me nervous anyway, because I was like, we don't even, as, as black women, we don't even wash our hair as often as most other ethnicities anyway. So I was like, oh my God. Another story that I did uh, was on Simply Good Jars. It's a local company. Prior to COVID, they had these smart vending machines where they make these freshly made solids or freshly organic made meals and pack them in a mason jar. But the cool thing about what they're doing is, so obviously they had to close nearly 60% of their locations due to COVID, but they unlocked all of their smart vending machines that they had in the hospitals. So now they're feeding the frontline workers for free and they have a delivery driver, one sole delivery driver who delivers to all the hospitals here in the area every day, providing them with their own Simply good jars. They can take them home, reuse the reuse the jars for something else. I mean, it's amazing. That is so kind because they still incur costs for doing that. 
you know, um, the company. So the fact that people can get involved by either having their own jars delivered to their homes or making a donation, that's huge. And it's so helpful to so many people that have to be exhausted that are taking on additional shifts, don't have time to, you know, grab a meal or make their own meal. That's, that's very loving. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about a meal for the day. That just helps take one thing off your plate and makes your day go a little bit smoother. Thanks, Anya. Mm -hmm. Oh, and let us know if you decide to experiment <laughs> with anything with your hair or, you know, any other tips. We'll let you go first and then we'll follow suit if we need to. Oh, girl, I've done it and you don't want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> And don't forget, Anya will continue to bring us that good news happening in the city and the region as we are all in the midst of challenging times. Don't worry, we got this and we have each other. Speaking of taking care of each other, Philly designers Nashali Juliana Ortiz Gonzalez and Marianne Valles are continuing to have our backs, or rather our fronts, through their collaboration via 22 Studio. These Boricua superheroes of design have joined forces to make sure we stay safe from COVID-19 while still maintaining our flyness. What could it be that brought this fashion superstar and light design dynamo together to join forces for good? Let's find out. <laughs> yes. Thanks for stopping sewing to talk to us. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So how did you get into the mask business? So it was very interesting because at the beginning, I was one of the persons that was, no, don't use the mask, was not approved for the CDC at that point. But a doctor here from Philadelphia contacted me and he was like, we really need a mask. Can you help us? And I was like, yes, but how we can create one that is really protective and is useful. And we presented different materials that we had here in the studio. And we end up with this model. And he's using it in his hospital and in his ER. So we have an Etsy shop, 22 Studio Shop. We sell one and you donate one. And then the other layer, of these is it was a lot of instruction on English but it was not any on Spanish and we have a big Latino community here in Philadelphia so we started doing video tutorials on how to make them on their own houses. That's amazing and it's crazy to think that in this time where we need so much help people aren't thinking of all the layers of help we need which mm -hmm. just translating how to make masks. Okay. What a way to step up and, and think about Thank other people. People. What has the response been? It has been amazing. It's beautiful. In Puerto Rico, we have a beautiful uh, culture. Everybody knows how to sew, even at least a button. So uh, when we uploaded the video on Spanish, all the seamstress in Puerto Rico started doing them, donating them, doing it for their families, and the same here in, in Philly. So how long does it take to make a mask? Or if we were to say by the end of the day, how many do you think you like have made? We've been doing like uh, 150 to 108 hours. Wow. Now, Shelly, you are the fashion designer. Marianne, you're yes. the lighting designer, correct? So yes. how do you infuse with your talents into what you guys are doing? As a designer, I always try to exercise design thinking, right? And do it every day. In this case, for example, in this project, Nacheli 
is the project manager and I'm the designer. So, so she gets always my input. She creates like mock-ups and I say, well, let's see if the tension can come from here rather than here, or let's use a different fabric. And then we sketch and we create mock-ups and that's how it works. Yeah. I think design is problem solving. And Mm -hmm. at the end, we just want to resolve a problem and help the community and help people to have a better quality of life. We are trying to democratize design and make it more accessible. And I also want to add that we, in 22 Studios, we build through design models that help communities to be more resilient. Mm. So that's part of our philosophy. If Mm -hmm. I want to become more resilient designer, I need to step out of my comfort zone and be able to have more skills to battle through life. You guys are warriors. No doubt about it. You are warriors. (laughs) Thank you. Now, Shelly, tell everybody about the Netflix show that you're on. Yes, Next in Fashion on Netflix. And we also, after that, we went to Paris, presented a new collection on Paris Fashion Week. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's beautiful to see, you know, you were in a show and you, then you were in Paris Fashion Week and now you're making masks and a lot of people have asked me how do you feel about this you know I always tell my students and and everybody fashion is not glamorous and I think that is where the fashion industry got lost we make fashion statement we make political statement through fashion and that is the anthropological view that I want to give to fashion and to all my statements. So I see this as another layer in my career as a designer. When the Netflix show was a beautiful experience for me, I'm very grateful for that platform for me. We're grateful for you. Thanks for taking your talents you. from your Netflix show and Paris Fashion Week to Ardmore to sewing masks and donating <laughs> them. And with Mary, I'm looking forward to seeing what she's going to be doing with the community post this situation that we're going through. I can't wait to see what installations you guys can come up with. Thank you so much. Thank you. So this week we have something to watch on Netflix. We know what we have to do to take care of our hair or at least try to. Are you guys with me? I'm pretending to be frozen. (laughs) No one has any headspace left. We learned about good jars and how to get some food real quick in a jar, shake it up fast and eat it. And then support our our healthcare workers. But we also learned not only where to get some dope masks from, but how to make dope masks. I mean, if you just go follow not Shelly and Marianne. Well, at least we have each other. This is not easy. That's what's amazing about this is this is global. So this is literally affecting every person on the earth. Yeah. Differently, it affects us all differently, but like we're all feeling it. We're six weeks in. And you know what? Like, I appreciate being able to get together with you guys. Yeah, I appreciate being able to get with you guys and have a chef on every week to remind me of how many restaurants and food I'm missing and missing all. I just, I'm hungry. I'm sorry. But it's a nice reminder for everything our region has to offer and that everyone now knows the hair is a hot mess. (laughs) We're doing the best we can. We really are. And you know what? Meet us back here next week for some more of the best we can with love and grit. We love you out there. Love. Thank you. 